recorded live just before that holy crap tomorrow is monday headache kicks in it's transformation thursday my name is amy stevens and my pronouns are she her and i am jamie rodriguez the general counsel of the transformation thursday podcast network and my pronouns are she her my co-host and guest tonight is one of the co-creators and the current host of transformation thursday amy stevens Tonight, we celebrate something not many podcasts accomplish. That's making it to 100 episodes. And in this episode, Amy and I discuss how the podcast came about. We honor former co-host Penny Sterling and highlight what Amy and I feel are 10 episodes that stand out. And what would Transformation Thursday be without Amy getting a bit emotional? Amy, are you saying I cry too much? You said it, not me. Ah, shit. Before we hear me cry again, here's another reminder from Jamie that Transformation Thursday is copyrighted material. This is Jamie Rodriguez, the General Counsel of the Transformation Thursday Podcast Network, here to remind you that Transformation Thursday is copyrighted material, all rights reserved 2021. You can support Transformation Thursday by leaving the podcast a five-star rating and writing a short review on Apple Podcasts. It's free and helps get Transformation Thursday out to a larger audience. On Twitter and Instagram, follow us at TransThursPod. On Facebook, you can follow the podcast by searching for Transformation Thursday Podcast. Welcome back to Transformation Thursday. My name is Amy Stevens and my pronouns are she, her. And I'm Jamie Rodriguez and my pronouns are she, her. Uh, Welcome back, everyone. We are here on the 100th episode of Transformation Thursday. Uh, Amy, how do you feel about this centennial episode? I feel pretty special about it. It made a few Facebook posts today. You might have seen yourself tagged a couple of times. You know, this is a big accomplishment for a podcast. Most podcasts start, they might publish one, two, three episodes, and then they just disappear into nothing. And this has been going on now for just over two years and 100 episodes. I think that's a big pat on the back to myself, to Penny, and to you. Oh, yeah. Well, congratulations. And, uh, you know, the pat on the back should definitely be to you. you know, one thing I wanted to ask is is about the origin story for this podcast. How did how did you get started? How did it come about? Penny and I met back in October 2009, or excuse me, 2018 on Evan Dawson's uh, radio show here called Connections on WXXI Radio. It's our NPR radio station here in the Rochester area. And we became friends. And afterwards, we started talking. And then in the spring of 2019, I... Penny and I were talking, I I want to say it was my idea, like, hey, Penny, let's do a podcast together. And then we we're bantering around some ideas. I really wanted to make it very transgender focused because I thought a transgender podcast by two transgender women, women would be fantastic. But Penny came back and said, no, I don't want to do it as a show just about being transgender. I want to do it about societal transformations. And that's was always the, <laughs> it was kind of the ebb and flow in that re, in our relationship 
where she wanted to do it. And I think she was right in the long run where I think having a little bit broader because we still come down a lot of times to LGBTQ and to transgender themes within these transformations. But yet I think societal transformation is a big thing. And, you know, we'll talk a little bit about some early guests and, you know, know some of those are actually some of my favorite episodes. So, you know, it's fantastic that we had that creative difference and i think it's it worked for us early on as we evolved the podcast we we're going to try to call it transformation tuesday but um it was already taken and we were kind of busy on tuesdays anyway so we ended up with transformation thursday and like a lot of business decisions today i was able to buy transformationthursday.com so once we were able to get that url that everything else just fell into place oh that's really interesting and then like how long was it before you from the time you you know thought of the idea to the time you recorded your first episode because I mean I know on my own you know amicus query um, podcast it's it's been uh, it's been with fits and starts that I've been um, you know recording and getting it off the ground but um, I, I wonder how long that took you I think it was late March of 2019 when I brought the idea to Penny and we started talking. And then in April of 2019, we actually recorded an episode and that did not ever make it on. We actually recorded in a friend's basement studio, but then the friend gave up podcasting. And so we had to scramble and find a new place to record the podcast. And so that took from April until July. And that's when we went to WAYO FM studios here in Rochester in the fabulous Fetter building, which really isn't so fabulous, especially if you smell the bathroom. Eh. But that's a whole nother story altogether. But the fabulous thing about being in the fabulous Fetter building at WAYO FM is the studio facilities are phenomenal. And every once in a while, I think about going back but since we do so much of this on zoom now especially um, during the pandemic and here in the summer of 2021 other than some local guests there's real no need to go back to the studio considering now i have the adobe suite on my computer and a lot of the recording stuff that i have is pretty high quality here so i think i'm going to keep it on here in my bedroom Maybe someday when I uh, visit you in uh, Rochester, we could uh, we could visit the fabulous Better Building. I've never actually seen it. It would be neat to see. Yeah, you know, I think you're planning a trip up this fall, so we can plan that. So maybe actually look into going back there and getting in there and showing you the studio. It's actually it's it's a really nice studio. It's just in a really funky building. I'll just use the restroom at your place before we go. <laughs> Good choice. I wanted to ask you about um, about Penny and and uh, you know is there anything you wanted to talk about um, you know how your relationship uh, uh, developed over the last couple of years and this this is a hard topic for me um, oh I'm getting overcome with emotion and you've received phone calls like this on on this too and Penny and I met back in as I said a little bit ago in October 2018 we. Um, our relationship, you know, late 2018 into 2019, um, really, you know, we we did a we did a lot of stuff together. We saw each other regularly at a local coffee shop called Boulder Coffee. That's how the podcast came about. Um, we did shows together. We did comedy stuff. We did I did storytelling events with her. 
I went to her stuff, she went to my stuff, then the pandemic hit. And, you know, Penny and I were very honest about that. And the pandemic really was hard on our relationship because we have two very different styles of communication, the way we approach things, the way we talk about things, the way we handle our emotions. And in the end, that's what got us. And, um, but yeah, at the same time, you know, I'm also very thankful to Penny because, you know, she was the driving force in a lot of the, the podcasts, especially the editing and the technical side of it. And I was the driving force on a lot of the creative side of it. When I say creative, I mean the social media um, scheduling and guests, but we both did a fair amount of scheduling guests. You know, we we kept pretty busy with the podcast, but the the pandemic took its toll and you know, now with Penny having stepped back from the podcast and, you know, and I'm, you know, driving, you know, pretty much the whole thing except for the legal stuff, which is your your avenue here on the podcast now. You know, I'm the one doing the scheduling, doing the social media, doing the editing, and that stuff's hard stuff. And But as we saw this last week, it's also pushed me to learn new stuff to tighten up my editing skills, to work on my sound levels and understand these different things to be, I know it's not the highest quality video I posted this week, but the one I posted this week with you and that quote, you know, for me to post that, that was like, okay, I was able to grab an MP3, put it into a video production software package in Adobe and put a picture on top of it, put a graphic on top of it and get it saved and publish it to me was a, you know, that's a big step forward in my production skills. So, well, I do miss Penny and what she brought to the podcast. I think at the same time, I think, you know, two years together through a pandemic, I think it was, I think it was time for both of us to grow in different ways. She's going on with her storytelling and I'm moving forward with comedy and transformation Thursday. You know, I'm going to say our relationship has not ended on the most, hasn't ended the way I would really have liked it to. And I would say the relationship has ended. And that's all I wanted. But it's been tough. I miss Penny. Penny was a very close friend of mine for a lot of years. But, and it's been a, you know, personally, it's been hard for me to, you know, and I understand, you know, her viewpoints on things and what she has said to me. But at the same time, I have my viewpoints and, you know, things that were going on in my life this spring that, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I want to say about that without upsetting anyone and <laughs> making sure I don't have mascara running down my face. Well, thanks for thanks for that. It... I wasn't expecting to get so emotional on that one. Mm. Well, and I think the other thing about we'll edit this and make it work somehow. I don't know. But she also had a fun way of making fun of me, especially my Minnesota accent. Doing a, a podcast is kind of a labor of love, right? And y'all had had a relationship and this project going and you know like many things they don't always last forever so you know you you have to be ready for things to change and move on and um i think you've done a great job of kind of taking transformation thursday and 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 you're you're ready for the next the next steps but i also think it's nice that you you know acknowledge that Penny really did help get it off the ground and, and was a, a, a 
a big contributor. You know, I think there were some early episodes where she got some really great guests. I mean, is there, is there any people that stand out in your mind, uh, you know, that she was able to land? Well, the ones that really jump up for me in that first six months are um, episode number seven with Evan Dawson and Megan Mack. Um, Evan, as I just mentioned, is the host of um, Connections with Evan Dawson, but Megan Mack is the person who runs the show, and Evan will admit that. Megan is the producer. Megan is an improv coach here locally. Megan is uh, friends with both uh, Penny and I, and she's they're a fantastic team, and they're fantastic individual. They're fantastic individuals separately from each other as well. What strikes me in that early episode of episode seven was, you know, the the banter back and forth between the four of us in studio. But then Evan took off his journalist hat and laid into Donald Trump like I have never heard a journalist and news reporter just turned off his objectivity. And, you know, and it was a fantastic, really human moment for me because I've been in and out of radio and news since I've been, you know, a teenager. And to see somebody just open up and just say like, no, this is, you know, we're talking about how presidents lie, how the media should treat that. And then just for Evan to come out and say, yeah, this is lying. This is, Donald Trump has never worked a day in his life. You know, it was a, it was a great moment. I really enjoyed that. The other one that I really appreciated was our first Zoom conference call was with Liam Hackett. Liam is in Brighton, England, and he is from Ditch the Label, and he did a huge study on transgender bullying online, and he was a fantastic get. And the fun thing about that is we recorded with him in early November 2019, and a few weeks later, I was going over to London to visit um, podcast friend and my friend, Emma Bruce, you know, to visit her for a week. And I had an appointment for a tattoo, the one on my right shoulder in Brighton, England, like two blocks away from his office. So not only was I able to go and get a tattoo, but I was able to also swing by and have coffee at Liam's office and meet him in person. So that was fantastic. And that was a lot of fun. I was going to say, it's always nice when you can have coffee with a, uh, past or future podcast guest, right? <laughs> yeah, especially when you recognize a guest and you're like, hey, don't you? Yeah, I've seen you before. We'll get to that story. So yeah, well, that's a tease. That's what we call that in the business. Let's put a pin in that one. <laughs> um, and then the other one that, and this is a really good one, Celine Guglos. She's the one that um, did this huge longitudinal study on trans kids and how they know their identity and how when trans kids are socialized within their gender, that who they really are, how they blossom and how they know. And it's just a, it's a really great episode. Celine's research is fantastic. I've cited Celine's research in my master's program here for my mental health counseling degree. And I've also cited that episode and played clips from her audio in my different PowerPoint presentations that I've actually made in my classes. And it's really helped. It, it's fantastic to be able to have that audio in my back pocket and I can slide that into a presentation 
and, and use that when I need to. In fact, I think I'm going to use it this week again as well in a presentation. So yeah, those are some of the early gets that Patty really put together and, you know, it, it was fantastic. And there's some later gets too. And so, you know, that's one thing I am going to miss is she had a few more connections than I did, you know, when it came to getting some of those bigger names, or at least in our world, the way I looked at them. But I'll get there eventually and I'm not too worried about it. I think that's one of the great things about the podcast in general is you've you now have a body of work with that really does go into a lot of depth of, um, you, know, you know, especially on LGBTQ issues. I, I know the, um, you know, I know the podcast is, is broader than, than just trans issues, especially, but, um, you know, clearly uh, there's, there's, a, there's a focus and, and, you know, I like that you take a, um, I like that you take a somewhat academic approach to the the depth of treatment that you go into on some of these things. And it doesn't surprise me at all that you're able to pull from the podcast um, in your in your pro professional work, you know, your professional training, um, because, you know, I, I know that I know that you uh, kind of think in those terms and. Yeah, we, and, we, and I think this is what makes our combination for Transformation Thursday then also for Amicus Querier a good match too is because we both enjoy that research. We both appreciate that academic vigor in things. You know, we take it, our disciplines are a little bit different in the way we talk about things and the words we use are different and we attach different emotions to the way we approach language and an emotion, but I think at the same time, we appreciate each other's approach to these things and we play off of each other well when it comes to, you know, the legal stuff you're bringing in and then the mental health. And, you know, as we saw in one of the episodes we'll feature in a little bit, those two things cross over a lot. <laughs> the legal and the mental health intersect a lot more than you think they would. No, I can understand that. Uh, you know, uh, hopefully the legal is not always an impediment to good mental health. Uh, sometimes it gets um, probably appropriately critiqued for causing uh, issues, but um, I hope it's also a, a source of fixing and problem solving. That uh, I hope the legal profession can be a source of making things better for in terms of mental health, in terms of the LGBTQ population, uh, obviously there's there's two sides to to every political battle, or or more, um, not just two sometimes. But um, you know you have to understand how the how the processes work in order to to make good decisions. There's a whole bunch of different directions I want to go with this. I think this is an episode with you know a guest from a suicide hotline unfortunately somebody from like you know somebody from the hrc national center for transgender equality i think i think this is an episode oh no i agree i agree with you um we'll put on our thinking caps on that one let's put a pin in this for a future episode we'll do another pin we're running out of pins we have to buy more <laughs> we'll never run out of pins um that's the great thing about virtual pins you can always think of another one yeah. Um, you know, we you've obviously this is the 100th episode, so uh, you know it's kind of a a natural time to look back on on the what's come before and uh, the su successes of the uh, podcast. Kind of celebrate 
some of the great episodes. How do you want to go about this? Do you want to kind of go chronologically or what, what's your thoughts on how we discuss this? Well, I think as we look at our shared file here on Google Drive, I think we should just go from top to bottom and... Yeah, you know, with the two of us, we, we went through and, and kind of picked our own highlight reels, if you will, and, and the ones that, uh, the episodes and the guests that we, you know, really liked. So that was, that was interesting to see us both come up with our top tens and there'd be a lot of, a lot of similarities. Um, well, the amazing thing is that there was a lot of overlap. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, you know, that goes to the quality of the guests. I think, uh, uh, you know, obviously there were some compelling guests. I think seven or eight. We over <laughs> crazy. <laughs> I think you and I are starting to think alike. Um, well, you know, the first one that we we kind of agreed upon was way back in episode eight, episodes eight and ten, actually. Um, Spencer uh, Shiley and and Teresa Tangri. Um, Spencer Shiley and Teresa Tangri, who both talked about uh, parenting trans kids. You know, what was it about their the, those uh, those episodes that's memorable to you. I'll start with Spencer just because it's chronological. You know, episode eight. Spencer and I know each other from church. So, as we've discussed a little bit on the on the podcast, I am an ex Mormon, and when I started coming out as transgender and exploring my gender identity, I was the elders quorum president which meant that I oversaw the men's group with inside of the church here locally of our local Mormon congregation. And Spencer served with me. And then Spencer was my successor, you know, once I fully started coming out and said, no, I can't do this Mormon thing anymore. And so for me, it's interesting seeing Spencer and his family accept their transgender child who's transgender masculine. I'm not going to go much into that as far as their identity because I haven't really seen that family since lockdown started. I've spoken to Spencer a couple times, but not very much. And I know there's been some changes in, in that family in that situation. But what I just remember for Spencer was trying to navigate that space within Mormonism maintaining his faith and um, even though we have diverged as far as beliefs go you know he's still able to find and the family they're able to find space to love their trans child regardless of you know religious belief regardless of gender sexuality whatever it is their child is their child first and you know it's that unconditional love and that also plays into episode 10 with Teresa Tangri. Teresa has a transgender son uh, who's now um, entering his second year of college. In fact, I saw them on the 4th of July and, you know, just a remarkable transition. And the thing that stands out about Teresa is I met Teresa at a local gender meetup group. And to see a mom, you know, at a local gender meetup group with her transgender child and not only was Teresa there supporting the child, but Teresa's also there supporting the community, interacting with folks in the community and becoming friends with the, you know, the transgender and gender diverse community here in Rochester. And once again, what it came down for Teresa and her family was just unconditional love and acceptance. And that's what it is. And, you know, 
Spencer and Teresa both have commented on this. You know, I can't remember if exactly in the episode because these were two these were recorded two years ago. These are some of our first episodes out of the gate. You know, but it comes down to that unconditional love, and they're like, well, I'm we don't understand the transgender experience, but that doesn't mean we can't have love and empathy for our child. And that's what stands out. And you know, I even every once in a while still today, I get a message every once in a while about those episodes. People find them. Yeah, I know. I think um, parents of trans kids are just such great advocates. I mean, everyone loves their child and would fight to the death for their children. And, you know, and the, like you said, the acceptance, the love that they showed was really amazing. And, those, I think those episodes do a great job of, of helping to educate people. You know, they, uh, they remind me a little bit of um, like Amanda Knox. Uh, you know, she had a book, Love Lives Here. That's a great book. Um, and uh, Kimberly Shapley, uh, you know, fighting for her daughter down in Texas, uh, Kai Shapley. Um, you, you know, I think all of those parents of trans kids are just great assets to the community. If you listen to Kate Oakley and Kimberly Anderson, who are involved with parents of trans kids, and both of both Kate and Kimberly will say, their proudest moments are when the parents are the advocates sitting in front of state legislatures hostile towards trans kids. When the parents are testifying, that's the powerful moments. And so, you know, to get a parent to go from being opposed to their child's gender expression and identity and then turning around, learning more about it, you know, having that empathy and love for their child, and then they become the advocate, you know, for an entire state, for an entire population. That's powerful stuff. Absolutely. And they, may, they do make powerful advocates. It's, um, you know, it's really compelling. Well, why don't we move along? Next person I want to mention was in episode 16 and 36, uh, V. Susie, who goes by Faye She pronouns, really had a lot of great things to say about transsexuality. And no doubt those were very popular episodes. Um. <laughs> yeah, in fact, episode 36, which is titled Transgender Sexuality, is one of the most listed. It's in the top five, right up there with your first appearance. Imagine that, people being interested about transgender sexuality. <laughs> you know, crazy stuff. And what I remember about these episodes are, you know, Faye was very, a great guest and very wonderful, very warm, very honest. You know, in the first episode, talking about the transition they had at work and how it didn't go so smoothly. And I know V's had some big changes in Faye's life since the transition, or not the transition, the pandemic started, and we're gonna get them on. So, because there's some big changes there. But then in episode 36, the sexuality conversation was fantastic because we both have different takes on it. And even now, different takes and different experiences, but having a very, fact-based conversation about how HRT affects a trans feminine body is something that 
There's not a lot of information out there on the internet about that thing, about that. And when you do find information on it, it tends to be more fetish and porn related. So to be able to provide that space to do it in a fun, light way, but also seriously explain accurately how HRT changes our bodies was an amazing conversation. And finally, is V was the last guest in studio before the pandemic hit. Oh, that's right. So what, how did the pandemic force you to go to Zoom and, and how has the podcast changed with that? As we alluded to a few minutes ago, the number one thing is uh, it changed the dynamic between Penny and I. So Penny and I, you know, Penny decided to leave the podcast. So that's one big dynamic that changed. But then also, you know, the early days of the pandemic, nobody wanted to go into a space where you had literally hundreds of people coming and going from a public space. Now I would go back and, you know, I would need to look into it, as I said earlier, but the, it allowed us to really open up the opportunities for guests because now as long as somebody has a decent internet connection and can get on Zoom, we can have these conversations with people around the world. And pretty much, I mean, we've had a fair number of guests outside of the United States on, mostly from England and Canada, but, and other guests around the country here in the United States that if weren't for this technology, it wouldn't have been able to happen. And even right now, V lives in Seattle, so yeah, I think like gonna have Faye on certainly for reaching out. You, you and Penny, you know, interviewed people over the uh, over Zoom, even when you were, you know, operating from the the fabulous Better Building. Um, but you know, now it's kind of become the norm almost, right? Yeah, it's become the norm. I think for most podcasts these days is to record over Zoom and make it happen. It, it makes it a lot easier. It makes scheduling easier. It makes logistics easier. I don't have to leave my house, travel 15, 20 minutes into Rochester to record. I can just do it here from my house, kick my family upstairs so that way they watch TV upstairs and I have the downstairs pretty much to myself. One thing that strikes me about the transsexuality episodes is how much laughing you did. <laughs> yeah, that was a there was a lot of laughing. It was a lot of fun and you know, and but to be able to have that space and to be able to talk about the changes in our bodies, how HRT makes our skin softer, how HRT makes the penis different of a trans woman's penis is not going to operate the same as assist gender males being able to talk about the complications of that because you know a previous partner that i had before my surgery was very frustrated that she had never dated a trans woman before but she had dated men before she's like i don't understand why this isn't working the way that it should be working and so should be it should be yeah exactly and so and that was also an I think back to that episode, but that was also at a point when I was 12, 18 months. And so how my body was also going through those changes and I didn't even understand what was going on with my body. So, and I didn't know how to explain that to a partner. And that's, you know, we've come up on this a couple of times, but I didn't have the communication or the words. It wasn't until after where I became more educated on those things. No, I think that's common. I think a lot of trans women who, especially those on HRT, have to 
come to a new um, understanding of of their own sexuality and and how and their relationship to their own bodies. Yeah, and you know, and that's going to change as you you know, one month, six months, twelve months, eighteen months on HRT. If you still have a penis, that'd be a trans penis or whatever. The way your body reacts is going to be different. That's going to be individual to each person. You know, and now, you know, I haven't spoken much about this since my surgery back in um, March. But now I also have to learn how my new equipment responds and operates and, quite frankly, has an orgasm compared because now that's different from what it was in February of this year. It sure is, yep. I will say one thing. That's a lot better and a lot much, much, much more rewarding. We'll leave it at that. So moving on from transsexuality, um, the next episode we wanted to talk about is really a shift to uh, one of the first lawyers on the uh, uh, on the podcast. or, or one, one, one of the first. Yeah, there haven't been... A, t- a ton of lawyers, but I think that you have definitely covered that angle. I mean, obviously, including myself having me on, but um, uh, episode 28, you had Kate Kelly on who, who has her own podcast, Ordinary Equality, which I really love. I highly recommend to anyone checking out Ordinary Equality. Um, and she talked about the ERA. What did, what, what did you recall from that episode? I recall from that episode, it's like, I've been following Kate Kelly for a long time. Not only is she an outstanding ERA advocate, you know, working, trying to get the ERA actually ratified here in the United States, but also, you know, she was also a very powerful feminist figure in Mormonism, and then she was excommunicated. Memory serves me right, 2013. So I've, I've known about Kate for a long time. And so it was finally, it was nice to finally have a conversation with her and to be able to chat with her background, with her experience with Mormonism growing up, her experience becoming a feminist and fighting for the ERA. And we were actually recording this, I think it was a week or so after the state that you live in, Virginia, became the 38th state to ratify the ERA amendment. Now, simple math says at this point, it should be a, an amendment. But there's a lot of different complicating issues on that that date back to the 70s and 80s. And that might be something worth us taking a look at for a future episode of Amicus Queriae. Yeah, I think it would be interesting to look at. Um, you know, the Biden administration clearly has not pushed. Um, uh, and, and part of that, I think, is... You know, the Department of Justice had come out essentially against the uh, Virginia's ratification um, during the Trump administration. And, you know, while some things uh, Biden was able to kind of turn on a dime, I think there are other other battles that are that are longer term. And it will be interesting to see where where this one goes. But I really like Kate's view. And clearly she has talked about how uh, the ERA would also protect trans people uh, if, if it were passed. Yeah, and I think that's a conversation worth having in greater details. Like, how does the ERA not only provide additional protections for 
and I'm using big air quotes here, women, cisgender women, but then also LGBTQ folks. Yeah, you know, we've we've talked a lot about how the, uh, you know, the Equality Act is an important step, uh, but the Equality Act is just an act of Congress. It doesn't, um, would it, even, even if passed, wouldn't necessarily, wouldn't take precedence over the Constitution. So having a a constitutional amendment, I, th I think, is still very important and, and the right thing to do. Because that way, that gets that higher level of scrutiny, right? It, well, it, it, it would, it would, it would be, uh, it would take precedence over, you know, federal laws, and uh, and also it would, without another constitutional amendment, couldn't be overturned even by a Congress, a future Congress that might be in the hands of another party. So, see, I pay attention to what you say. Yes, you do. Okay. Um, so what's the next topic that you wanted to talk about? Well, let's skip to episode 71 because we're going to come back to 69. Yes, we will. <laughs> uh, kill me. Yeah, so 71, episode 71 was Chris Thompson. And you know Chris up in Rochester. Why don't you say a little bit about Chris? Chris is one of those people that I met early in my transition. And still, when I first met him, I was going back and forth between guy mode and girl mode. And I introduced myself as my old name and then quickly followed that up with my new name. He goes, well, you're just Amy. He goes, I don't care. You're just Amy. I'm not even going to call you that other name. And so, you know, and Chris, I had on a LGBTQ allied comedy show a couple years ago. Uh, we're actually going to be producing another one here in November. So, you know, definitely Chris is a great comedian, somebody who I know from the comedy circles, but I think more importantly, not I think, I know more importantly, he has this passion for being black, being himself, and this I don't give a fuck attitude, and he is unapologetically himself. And it's just... It's a powerful thing, and it, it makes, I really enjoy being around Chris, you know, you know, through the Zoom calls that we've done for the podcast, in person, before the pandemic. I haven't seen Chris since the pandemic. He's just a great guy to be around. Yeah, Chris, I he's somebody that I think of as a truly a social justice warrior in the most positive meaning of that term. Uh, you know, I think about, when I think of, you know, how should I react to um, some situation? You know, Chris is one of those people I, th I, I think of, well, what, what would Chris do? Last year during the protests when everything was going down after the murder of George Floyd, Chris went out and put himself in danger to save other people, to protect them from rubber bullets, to protect them from tear gas, to get them to medical attention, to get them home. So he's very unselfish in his approach to his social justice as well. He is going to put his comrades ahead of himself in his own well-being, if need be. And he truly is a friend to the, uh, you know, the LGBTQ community. I remember one of his posts on Facebook, uh, you know, he, he basically said, you know, if you're a black transphobe, unfriend me now. You know, he, he yeah. is... Um, very supportive of the trans community. And I think that's awesome. You know, I, I, I think he gets that, you know, marginalized communities everywhere need to support each other. And it's kind of the, uh, you know, an injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, you know, a concept. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think he sees that, you know, the pie 
doesn't get cut up even less if we start giving you know equal rights and equal access to everybody that's not the way it works there's enough for everybody in our country and he definitely sees that and he's not afraid you know when it comes to lgbtq issues to call out his own community to call out the black community and say you know what if you're not going to include these folks just unfriend me be done so yeah I and chris is just a hell of a funny and and, and super nice guy but he's definitely he's definitely got a great sense of humor yeah people should look yep. him up yep definitely so so now we go up to episode 84 Lindsay Boylan I thought she was one of she was awesome I, I love I loved her episode and you know it's kind of very timely given uh what's happened with uh Governor Cuomo lately um you know when she described him as a monster I thought that was so powerful well, and you know, what was that interview like? Because she was a really powerful guest, you know, just emotionally and in terms of what she's done. That interview for me really caught me off guard because I was not expecting somebody in the public eye running for Manhattan Borough president to come out of the gate and actually say on the podcast, Governor Cuomo's a monster. And she didn't say it just once. She said it multiple times throughout the interview. That, to me, is bravery. To be able to say, like, hey, even though we're in the same political party and, you know, Governor Cuomo's pushed through a lot of liberal stuff here in the state of New York where we live, he's a monster. And to hear that come from a politician was just refreshing and i also what stood out to me is i live in a little suburb of rochester called arondacoit and when we were talking because Lindsay lives in manhattan but when i said arondacoit she rattled off some local politicians some local friends a couple local donut shops she knew my neighborhood and you know one of the things that stood, that stood out to me is that she's like hey if you go to a donut shop and you start talking to the owners and managers you're going to find out what's going on in those neighborhoods in those communities. And so her love of donuts also helps her tie into community. Hold on, let me and get a donut. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll get a donut in a couple weeks. Don't worry about it. You got to bring me to Duck Donuts. Yeah, indeed. Duck Donuts, a, a local uh, Northern Virginia establishment in Herndon, Virginia. Um, some of the best donuts around. So, um, Lindsay, if you're ever down here in Nova, I'll take you to Duck Donuts. And, you know, but she knew the local donut shops here in Rochester, too, especially the one in my community that everybody goes to called Ridge Donut Cafe. She, she knew it. She's like, oh, yeah, I've been there. Love that place. Anyone, anyone who keeps track of local, you know, great donut shops is OK by my in my book. And so, you know, the other thing that I liked about her is and you're not going to be surprised by this, but not only was she political and she knew her stuff, but she also knew how to intersect that with mental health understanding that people's welfare, people's social, economic welfare, also directly ties to mental health was very refreshing. And so, you know, it was nice to have that conversation and, and have that connection. Yeah, I mean, all joking aside about the donut angle, um, like you said, her not being afraid to take a stand against a very powerful New York politician um, and 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 standing up for 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 what was right 
you know, in the face of a, a lot of, you know, personal political pressure, just really made me respect uh, Lindsay. Yeah, me too. And it was also interesting to see the generational divide, because there's actually a group here in Rochester, it's like, oh, support Andrew Cuomo. And it's a bunch of, lack of a better term, it's a bunch of baby boomer white women. And, you know, when I get this attitude, it's, and I know where they're coming from, and I've had similar conversations with similar people in their 50s and 60s, they're like, this is what we had to put up with to succeed. This is what we just had to do. We didn't, we just didn't report people all the time. And I get that and I understand that viewpoint. But also in this viewpoint, and this is where I wrestle with this, I say, well, if we, if, if women don't tackle this issue, if women don't report people, if women continue to put up with it, then will it ever stop? If we don't, I understand both sides of it, but I just think today's environment. Is I think so if different. the Me Too moment movement, you know, meant anything, it was that, you know, enough was enough. It was time to stop making excuses for bad behavior by men in all walks of life. And you know, yes, um, you can you can definitely empathize with a woman who in the 50s or 60s or 70s or or even more recently um, essentially had to put up with really shitty behavior by male colleagues or male bosses. Um, but that shouldn't be a reason that we don't now, you know, turn the corner and say no no more. We're not gonna, you know, our society is not gonna put up with that any longer. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but this is my anecdotal observation. I know maybe one or two women in my life that have not been sexually abused, harassed, raped, whatever it is. And for me, some of these things are hitting very close to home right now in real time. Mm -hmm. And it breaks my heart to see young women still going through this still being intimidated, still being harassed. But yet when they stand up and they and, and they take on these bullies, Andrew Cuomo the monster included, local monsters in our communities, that strength makes me so proud of the future generation that's coming up. And and I look forward to the future with the with this generation, and I hope they stick to their guns, and they really try to root this shit out. Yeah, we all have to do it. It's um, just because you may have gone through something in the past doesn't mean we need to uh, impose that on the next generation. So, yep. Well, let's move on to actually the next episode after Lindsay Boylan was another one that we both uh, highlighted. And that was episode 85 with Kate Oakley. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, Kate and uh, maybe a, yeah, kind of a unique way that uh, you ran into her. Well, I'll be honest, Kate uh, was, not probably, is... Penny's last big get and Penny was working on a freelance project for the HRC had some connections there and was able to get Kate on the podcast we sit down we get on the zoom 
we're sitting there and, you know, we're doing the idle chit chat that you do before a podcast starts. And I'm looking at this lady going, she looks familiar, really, really familiar. But, you know, and she talks about living in Fairfax County, Virginia, you know, on a working farm somewhere off of Route 7. Lo and behold, I'm like, hey, I know somebody who lives in that area <laughs> in Northern Virginia in Fairfax County. I may or may not be looking at her right now on my screen. And yes, the Zoom. I do. <laughs> and so, and, and, you know, and I've been down to visit you. And one of my trips down, I remember as I was leaving, I pull into the Starbucks. I see a Toyota 4Runner with an HRC sticker. And as one does, you look at the person, you say, okay. I wonder who's driving that. And I remember looking at this person. And then as we're going through the podcast with Kate, finally hits me. I'm like, that's the lady that drives the Toyota 4Runner <laughs> at Starbucks in Western Virginia. It was probably one of the funniest references when you brought that up. Um, and it could have come across as creepy, frankly, but, uh, you know, but I, but it didn't. I think ultimately when you know what it, what uh, how it re what resulted uh, or what caused you to remember that yeah and so you know so we get done with the interview we stop recording and i'm like hey kate um do you drive a toyota 4runner do you have the hrc sticker do you go to the starbucks but she's like yeah i do i'm like <laughs> i saw you last time i was visiting jamie <laughs> you know the other thing that Oh the, that I thought was funny about that was um, you say when you say working farm on Route Seven, you know, in in Northern Virginia, I I was just many. thinking what, <laughs> you know, this is like I mean like Reston, Virginia, for example, where where Route Seven goes right by is really suburban. Um, uh, I I wouldn't have thought there was still a working farm nearby, but. Hey, you learned something new, right? Do you know where it is? I don't know exactly. No, I haven't gone by. Remember, memory serves me right. It's the last working farm in Fairfax. I think County. that's what Kate said. Yes, I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. That doesn't surprise me. I mean, but, you know, strip mall city up there along route. But a little more, uh, about, you know, kind of the substance of the uh, interview was about trans. Uh, Oh yeah, we should talk trans about trans-related uh, legislation and you know twenty-nine plus bills around the country that are going on. Uh, you know, what were your thoughts about Kate's take on that and what HRC is doing? It it really crystallized for me how important it is for us to support organizations such as the HRC. You know, and I've heard in the trans community, you know, the rumblings, you know, oh HRC is more focused on gay stuff or whatever else. You know what? Right now. However, we can unify behind organizations that are fighting these anti-trans bills across the state. It goes back to we did, when we start to re-marginalize ourselves and marginalize communities, that's when our opponents win. So it's time to rally. It's time to get around this and defend these trans kids who need this health care, who need this mental health care, who need to have these options of Going on puberty blockers or not going on. Being able to, as they get to 16, 17, as they get older, having those appropriate HRT conversations, surgical interventions. You know, surgical interventions are more for 
you know, 18 year olds, 17, 18 year olds. And for, you know, it's not going to happen at age eight, you know, but to be able to have these conversations with medical professionals in the privacy of the doctor's office, in the privacy of the psychiatrist's office, in the privacy of the counselor's office is where these conversations are supposed to be had. Having these conversations in legislatures, anti-trans state legislatures around the country is the wrong place. And governors like the one in Utah, the one in Arkansas who see this have vetoed these bills. Unfortunately, in Arkansas, the veto was immediately, you know, overturned. But that's where the, you know, if, you know, these people, I guess, and I hate saying it like this, these people, but if folks on the right had a state legislature in their doctor's office, the way they're putting them into transgender youth doctor's office, they would be up in arms. Yeah, you know. And, you know, they've done, and they've done, oh, I'm, I'm, oh. It's really the bigots of the world drawing another line in the sand that we're just going to have to kick over and uh, uh, erase an, yet again another line in the sand uh, that, you know, it, it was racial equality and then it was uh, gay rights and now it's trans rights. And, you know, there's always someone that they want to pit against uh, uh, someone else in society and, you know, fear monger about. So. Yeah. And it, it's unfortunate because in going back to what, you know, Kate was saying is, it's great when these parents get up there and they are the ones testifying. They're the ones being the advocates for their mm -hmm. children. And and th those are important moments. But the other thing we know is, you know, through Kate's interview, through Kimberly Anderson's interview back in March, <clears throat> when these bills are going through, transgender youth die. And I wish that was hyperbole. I wish that wasn't true. But we see it the Trevor Center, all these suicide hotlines in states where these bills are going through, and even in states where they're not because they're in the news, transgender and gender diverse youth are attempting and taking their own lives because these bills are, decide, are designed to exclude and tell our, community, our youth communities they're not wanted. Yeah, you know, youth who are already challenged, you know, in their communities, and who are at higher risk of depression when they see the government that influenced their lives passing bigoted policies, it's no wonder that it causes them to fear that things aren't gonna get better. Yeah, thank goodness for, you know, I think everyone should contribute or help the Trevor Project, for example, because um, until we get through this rash of bills, that's going to continue to have a, a negative impact. It is going to have a negative impact on transgender and gender diverse youth and their mental health. Yeah. And I want to tie this back to episodes eight and 10, because our opponents always point this out. The jackasses of the world on the right that want to talk about transgender mental health they only tell you one part of the story, and it's a true part, but they don't tell you the flip side of the coin. The true part is, is that in our transgender and gender diverse youth communities, 90% of them 
have suicide ideation. 40% have attempts. But what, and then they stop there, our opponents stop there. But what they don't tell you is, is that when these transgender, gender diverse youth have loving, accepting parents and people in their lives who affirm and support them, those numbers go down to their cisgender counterparts. So now is it mental health or is it societal rejection of trans and gender diverse identities that are causing these problems? Our, the conserv our conservative foes do not want to have this conversation. I and I think that's you know why what Kate Oakley is doing and what HRC is doing are so important. You know, HRC you know, has their corporate equality index. They have been very influential on, um, you know, especially during the Trump administration when the federal government was implementing policies that were uh, both anti-trans and just anti-gay, anti-LGBTQ um, across the board. It was, it was industry and normal society that kept advancing our rights and HRC has been integral in that fight. Let's jump back a little bit. We, we saved our last two um, episodes that we wanted to talk about. And let's talk about episode 22, which is the uh, Latter-day Lesbian episode with uh, Mary and Shelley. How did you get involved with Mary and Shelley? Uh, can you tell that story a little bit? I got involved with Mary and Shelley, just like I think you all know you got involved with them a little bit differently, but I got involved with them just by listening to the Latter-day Lesbian podcast that they were putting out and just listening to it and becoming enthralled in Shelley's story as an ex-Mormon gay woman just trying to figure her shit out. And I don't think she'll ever figure her shit out, but that's part of the beauty of her story. And, you know, and then also... But what gets lost in that podcast, especially early on, you know, when they first started back in 2019 was Mary's story. Mary has a great story too, because Mary, Mary comes from an evangelical family and she came out at a very young age as a lesbian. Mom has always been opposed to it, still throws Jesus in her face and religion. And so, and what I really like about that episode is that Penny and I, carved out space not only to tell Shelly's story because it introduced that pod you know the latter-day lesbian podcast to our audience but also that we carved out space specifically for both mary and Shelly to tell their stories not separately but but give them each space to tell one story for Shelly, one story for mary no i think that's great that they both talked about that and it um i i don't know if i would say it gets lost, but certainly the beginning of their, if you go back to episode one, as Shelly always admonishes everyone to yes, do uh, with the Latter-day Lesbian podcast, you know, to start from the beginning. Yeah, if you're going to um, go back and listen to Latter-day Lesbian, start at episode one. I'm just saying, it's not that it's totally lost in there, but in those early episodes, Shelly's story definitely overshadowed Mary's. Oh, no. Yeah, I was... I. There, there is a focus on Shelley's um, story in the beginning, and anyone who sticks with their that podcast, um, you know, pretty quickly comes to learn that both Mary and Shelley bring um, bring similar, although 
uh, not the same experiences. And, and I think they were great on, on uh, Transformation Thursday as well. I, um, both of us have actually been on Latter-day Lesbian. Uh, in fact, that's basically how we met, right? So I, I don't think there, yeah, there's no basically about it. I mean, I think we have to, uh, we have to applaud Mary and Shelley for uh, introducing us, frankly. And uh, I don't know, do you want me to yeah, talk a little bit about that? I can. Um, yeah, I want to hear it from your perspective. Well, you know, we had both been on their show and, um, you know, my I have family in Ithaca, New York, and so I was getting ready to to go visit my mom and sister, and um, just gave you a, reached out to you via I think I sent you an email or something, and just like, hey, I'm going to be in Ithaca, which is you know, hour and a half, two hours from uh, Rochester, and uh, you know we met kind of in the middle for coffee. That was uh, and. I don't know. By by the time we finished our coffee, we were talking about uh, uh, me coming on uh, the show. So, um, you know, if it hadn't been for uh, for Latter Day the Latter Day Lesbian podcast, um, we certainly wouldn't have met as quickly. Who knows? Maybe down the road we might have. But yeah, I still have the picture from that. Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> that first meeting. I don't think I want to post it though. <laughs> Uh, you know, we all live in a um, in, in a Google Photos world where we all have ten thousand photos of of our of our lives since uh, since two thousand, at least around two thousand or something. Yeah, so we met on December thirty first, nine or nineteen, <laughs> shit, two thousand nineteen. Yeah, we had coffee and we talked for what a little over an yeah, hour. A little over an hour, yeah. And I think you know, I think I think the friendship was immediate. Oh, absolutely. I would say it was. Yeah. yeah. And then I think it, and then from there we had you on the podcast and we continued to communicate. And then we had the lockdown. We saw each other in the spring of 20 and then we've just stayed in touch. And we alluded to a little bit ago, you know, I've been down to see you a few times. You've been up here a couple of times and, you know, through my surgery this year, you're a great support. So, yeah. So uh, it's been really great to be to get involved uh, in in the podcast and uh, and to get to know you more. So moving on to our last of the uh, whatever top ten, top twelve that we've we've episodes that we've mentioned. Um, I won't say we saved the best for last, but we've saved we've saved one of the best to talk about. Uh, episode sixty nine. Nice. <laughs> Episode 69 with Carter Monier, I thought it was a really great discussion um, of transgender relationships. People, you know, trans people dating other trans people. I know nothing about that. Right. So can you tell me, like, what was it in episode 69 that, that you found so compelling? If I can do it without crying, sure. Um, so Carta, and I'll, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drop the audio in here. As we just heard Carta talking about trans for trans relationships, our shared experiences, being next to somebody with a body that's been through similar experiences. And I told Penny in that moment, just before Carta said that, and you heard it, and you know, and I, you know, hey, Penny, take some time off from this 
you know, interview right now, and Carter and I are going to talk. The reason Penny came back right away is because I totally lost it. And I, and I allude to this in the interview of dating a trans woman, beginning a relationship with a trans woman, and having those experiences and being the special sauce of that relationship. And this came up again with Carrie Prey, the communication in queer relationships, or at least the one that I'm in, it's not always easy. There's ups and downs like any relationship, but it's pretty special. And sorry, I don't know if you heard that. There were fire trucks and sirens going on outside. So I just wanted to pause for a second. Okay. Where was I? Um, Carrie Prey, pretty special. Ups and downs of queer relationships. Yeah, you know, I, I do think, and you're right, we did talk about this uh, with Carrie Prey, that in queer relationships, there's a lot of talking, you know, and... You know, I, I would say I would say anecdotally from what we have seen. Yeah, because I'm sure there are queer relationships that don't have the communication that we've experienced. That's true. I'm sure there are. You know, there's there's a million relationships out there, and there, uh, I'm positively must be some that have uh, worse communication than others or less than others. Um, but one thing that struck me about what Carta is talking about is the common experiences between trans people. And I think it's, you know, I, I think it's um, evident in all kinds of LGBTQ relationships um, where, you know, people in, in marginalized communities, even different marginalized communities can have a common a common understanding, a common sense of the challenges that each other have gone through. And um, I think that helps to build some attraction between some people. It's a, it's a, it's a reason that those relationships are, can be Im important to, and, and can be really, really wonderful, making something positive out of the adversity of being part of a marginalized community in a sense. Um, and I think that's especially true when it's two trans people, you know, whether that's two trans women or a trans woman and a trans man or whatever configuration of relationship um, that you might be talking about. Yeah. I'm trying to keep it together. You're doing well. Yeah, and those transfer trans spaces are so special because of the shared experiences as you just talked about, but then also you know, you know me, I'm the emotional one. Um, Emotions are great. And you know what? It's okay if they bubble up. Yeah, you keep telling me that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, you know, such a great episode with Carta and, um, you know, clearly very touching a lot of a lot of emotional issues were brought up um you know with that we've kind of wrapped up our highlights i uh, encourage listeners to go back and and you know re-listen re to some of those whatever the top 12 that we've just mentioned i think we started with the top 10 list but we talked about more amy let me ask you this what is your vision for the future of transformation thursday my vision for the future of transformation thursday is Pretty much what we've talked about, you know, between you and I is, you know, things change, 
life changes. Um, Transformation Thursday is changing and evolving. And what I want to do with Transformation Thursday is continue it to be a place for long form deep interviews and topics that you're not going to get other places that it be societal transformation issues such as you know news I have an episode coming up of how radios changed you know and that's just me geeking out it because my undergraduates in radio TV film and I have this broadcasting background but then I also like the episode you know I did with Natalie Walker a few weeks ago you know talking about you know, the War of 1812, residential schools in Canada and the United States, and just, just those type of transformations and the ways our society changes and the way we view things, but then continue to bring in our perspectives as LGBTQ folks, especially as two transgender women who host and feature on this podcast. And so I think that's, you know, what I, I really want to continue that and give our guests a platform to tell their stories and to ask the right questions to get those stories out. And then, you know, related to where we bring it in um, relationship to you is there's so much going on right now with legislatures, with the legal front, court battles, the United States Supreme Court, you know, having regular short segments with you on i think we've talked about doing this weekly i think we're gonna we'll start this you know after we get through episode 100 but really get that political and state legislature national you know also with you know congress what's going on that are affecting our lgbtq plus communities and then from there that brings us over to the other podcasts on the transformation thursday podcast network amicus querier yeah, no, I, and, you know, where, where do you want to go with that? Because that's your baby. I want to thank you for inviting me on the Transformation Thursday and letting me serve as the general counsel of the Transformation Thursday podcast network. You know, I, I look forward to continuing to provide to, on Transformation Thursday, kind of the short 10 minute segments on, on uh, current cases, recent cases that have, that have happened, you know. Uh, whether it's the Supreme Court or even a much smaller, it could just be a small event that's happened in some state that might be of interest or might be something to look at. Um, and that's what I that's what I see the legal segments on Trans Thursday um, providing. What I'm going to do with Amicus Querie is continue to do those kind of deep dives into the uh, into the. Um, legal happenings, um, where we will get into the legal theory more and, you know, what are the longer term implications? We're going to continue with our deep dive into the uh, development of LGBTQ rights. You know, coming up, we're going to talk about uh, the fight for marriage equality, for example, and, and then some of the more recent uh, uh, battles um, that, that we've been talking about here. So there will be a little bit of a mix, you know, and some overlap, but uh, you know, I think I think the two complement each other well. Well, that's awesome. You know, we've been going for uh, quite a while now. I think uh, you know maybe we have enough for an episode. Uh, what do you think? I think so too. Awesome. Well, Amy, it's been nice interviewing you on this centennial episode of Transformation Thursday. Um, I will give you the floor for any closing comments. I, I want to thank our audience. 
and the folks that have taken time to write in notes to Penny and I about our episodes, the feedback we've received. You know, it's been a great honor to, you know, provide this community, not only through the podcast, but, you know, through our Facebook group. And, you know, if you have not, please take a look at our Facebook group online. You just need to search for Transformation Thursday on Facebook, find our group and our um, public page, and, you know, feel free to join in. Um, I wish we had a little bit more conversation on those pages, and hopefully that will evolve over time. But, you know, it's a great safe area for um, trans and gender diverse folks to find community. And I look forward to the future of, we did a show together a little over a week ago here in Rochester. Uh, we can make this announcement. We have scheduled our second comedy and storytelling show on November 18th, again, at the Comedy at the Carlson here in Rochester, New York. Scheduling permitted. You'll be there, and I'll be there and put together another fantastic lineup. I have some ideas for the show already that I'm not going to make public at this time, but, you know, when the lineup comes out, it'll. I think you'll see some different faces, some different roles, and some good changes. And I would like to take the show on the road, too. I think there's... A venue and an opportunity for queer comics and storytellers to perform in front of audiences that are queer and provide us a safe space to tell jokes to laugh and not be the butt of the joke because of who we love or who we are and that's the best feedback that I've received so far on the podcast even today one of my regular customers at Starbucks came in and said, hey, my friend went to your show. They felt so safe, so special there, and they loved it. That's the best thing I can hear. That's really a fabulous part of the community that you've created, and you should be really proud of that. Well, I am, I am proud of it, and I'm proud of the show that we put together. And, you know, you're a huge part of it. And, you know, you didn't have the biggest role to play in the last show. But, you know, it was really heartwarming to hear people come up to you and I afterwards and say, I love the education piece. I love, you know, for, you know, people to hear about LGBTQ poverty and the way it was presented is fantastic. And, you know, Braden Reese here at the LGBTQ Plus Mutual Aid Group does a fantastic job of building community. He's a veteran of, you know, LGBTQ advocacy in local communities, and we're very blessed to have him here in Rochester. And you know, I was very fortunate, you know, we were able to give um, Braden and the L Rochester LGBTQ Plus Mutual Aid Group a donation of $500. And I would really like to double that. Yeah, yay! And I would really like to double that at the next show, which means instead of 100 people there, we need to have 200 people there. So that's the goal, 200 people next time. Well, should we say good night to everyone? Good night. All right, good night.